Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Hans Georg's sermon today is focused on friendship. As we continue in chapter 15 of the book of John, what do we learn about the commandment to love one another? And what about the love of God? In what cases do we see Jesus' unconditional love for his disciples? And what really is true love and how does it show? Well, join us today to find out how good it is to be covered by God's love and how much God seeks friendship with you. So here's Hans Georg with a sermon titled, The Qualities of a Friend. What a privilege to be together again this morning. And uh, I got so excited, you know, I'm, I don't want to overemphasize this, but uh, being 66, I shouldn't be re really like that. And I don't need to apologize, but the excitement of studying the Word of God and uh, that you give me, Grace Church is giving me, and the Lord, of course, is giving me. I mean, uh, it's amazing. So I just want to thank you folks um, for, ready, uh, for being ready to accept us uh, in your fellowship um, and the privilege of serving It means so much to us. It's a blessing for Margaret and myself, and uh, we count it a big blessing to be with you this uh, morning. Well, we have Father's Day, and it's a special day. My daughter already uh, called me this week, you know, she's got a, a special present uh, uh, this evening, and she wants to come along, and And uh, with a handful, a good handful of kids, you know, what's happening today. And uh, we are privileged to um, uh, celebrate this uh, uh, special day today. That's especially in Austria and uh, other countries, Father's Day is in different days. But, well, it's good to really mark that day. And what a joy to have a... A father that is a friend to us. Wow. And that's actually the, the topic we are talking uh, about today. We're talking about the quality, qualities of a friend. That is um, the, the topic. And uh, as we go through this study of the Word of God... Uh, we will see, you know, the depth of being a friend to us. God is our friend. Now, of course, there are different qualities, and we will go in much uh, depth in that um, this morning, uh, in these different kinds of quality. And, you know, I would look forward to you as well to get fascinated the kind of relationship the Lord Jesus has with us. It's his desire that we are his friends. He calls us his friends. And the deeper meaning of that we will um, want to show this morning. Now, as I prepared myself, I came across um, of um, an English guy, Samuel Taylor Coleridge. He lived... In the 18th century, he was an English poet, a philosopher, and of course, you know, that brings us together. He was a theologian. He was physically, unfortunately, quite unhealthy and had crippling bouts of anxiety and depression, as some people do, even in our realm of work. Uh, we see people being depressed. Uh, the treatment of these conditions led to uh, a lifelong opium addiction. Born of uh, older parents in the 18th century in Devonshire in England, um, he was a kind of a, um, how would you describe him, a lonely genius. His father died when He was just nine years old, and a year later, Coleridge was sent to, to London 
to uh, live with his uncle, and he entered the charity school, as they call it, of Christ's hospital, taking refuge. Um, well, that's what he did, refuge behind lots of books. Uh, these were his only friends, books. And, of course, uh, some people here even may appreciate that uh, books can become friends. They may not be the best friends, but they can be friends. And, of course, with him, you know, accelerating and uh, reading widely in the... Uh, at 19, he entered uh, Cambridge, where his career interests were between um, medicine, philosophy, and writing. He quickly distinguished his, himself as a scholar and was quite well known in his time. Even we may not have ever heard of him, um, uh, but in his time, his poet, his his kind of critiques he wrote and uh, playwright and so on. He was quite famous. Uh, as his bibliography, uh, biography tells us, even in his 20s, you wouldn't believe it, Coleridge lectured extensively already on Shakespeare. Not the easiest of a topic, is it? Many of his poems um, got quite famous. But none of these achievements, now he has achieved so much even as a younger guy. Not even, not even being 30, he has achieved so much. Um, didn't satisfy the emptiness in his heart for friendship. By the age of 24, he turned to drugs to deaden to the resounding loneliness in his life. And many of um, Coleridge's works dwell on, you know, kind of situation of his life, on, on, on misery and, and, and tragedy, except for one poem shortly um, before his death, titled, Youth and age. There he wrote the most moving statement that we will go along this morning. Of course, we go along the word of God. Don't you worry. This is the most important textbook we, we can have. But it's also good to see, you know, the needs of, of us humans. And in this, in this, um, poem, he wrote, friendship, is a sheltering tree. Friendship is a sheltering tree. In the great twilight of his life, Coleridge recognized something that genius, popularity, and money could never, ever replace the value of a friend. In the light of this, let us have a look today at Bible's passage, the second section of John chapter 15, the verses 12 to 17, which I read from the uh, Living Bible um, again. Uh, John 15, verses 12 to 17. There we read. I demand that you love each other as much as I love you. And here is how to measure it. The greatest love is shown when a person lays down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you obey me. I no longer call you slaves. For a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, proved by the fact that I have told you everything the Father told me. Looking at this 
passage, the second section of um, John chapter 15, uh, we realize the death of Jesus comes close, close. When death nears, it is remarkable how important the shade of our sheltering friends becomes. Not even the Son of God, Jesus himself, Jesus shared the, the innermost feelings um, when the shadow of the cross darkened his last days. He tried to share some of his deepest feelings human a human can ever have. At this time, more than any day other, he wanted to be surrounded by his most intimate friends. And with those friends, Jesus shared the innermost feelings of his heart and in what is known as the um, upper uh, room discourse. That's how it's usually called. Jesus speaks about the love, the communion believers should have with one another. Here is the first point Jesus makes in form of a command. The command, as you will see on the PowerPoint, thank you again, Philip, you did a great we're getting these uh, points together. I'm so privileged. As I looked this morning at the PowerPoint, I was fascinated, you know, about that very special gift of doing these kinds of things. Thanks, thanks a lot, uh, Philip, for doing this. Jesus had just told his, his disciples that his instructions are for their joy. And we read... Um, in uh, verse 11, we read, I have told you this so that you will be filled with my joy, joy unspeakable. Uh, and in now, what instructions has he given them? We read that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. His new commandment, as we see in, in chapter 13, you've gone through this in previous uh, weeks, chapter 13 to 34 and 30, 35, was to love each other as Jesus has loved us. Now in in chapter 15, he um, repeats it. It was too important for him not repeating it again. And uh, we had a good laugh uh, this week as uh, uh, Philip um, talked uh, with, you know, about the topic of this morning. And Philip reminded, you, reminded me, you're repeating yourself constantly. And we laughed about it. I said, well, with 66, you know, you do that, you know, and I'm... Uh, confined to that, and uh, that's what I'm doing, you know, repeating. And I even laugh about myself, you know. So you can laugh about me. I don't care about it anyway. So, But Jesus, um, you know, he doesn't do it in that context. He does it in a different context. The context is, it is too important. Not just saying it once, but saying it Again and again, because it has such a deep meaning, and thus he repeats himself in chapter 15. He repeats this uh, and emphasizes what he wants to characterize the new life he will secure for us on the cross. And, um, and then with the command, we of course are, we want to see the content of the command. The verb in verse 12 indicates a kind of an, an ongoing action. Keep on loving one another. Don't stop it. 
Don't stop in the midst of it doing it. You know, it's a constant thing. It's not just doing once, but repeat it again and again. Talking about Father's Day, I think um, that's what fathers do. Keep on loving. Don't stop it. Keep on loving one another. Keep on loving your kids. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to say. Keep on loving. Do it. Don't stop in the midst somewhere because you're fed up. Keep on doing it. Jesus' point is that love is not to be a sporadic, just a kind of a spontaneous idea or kind of impulsive or a kind of a, a temperamental, even uncertain or even changeable outburst of emotion. Keep on loving one another. It is to be sustained an intense and committed outworking of the will of a person. Love, somebody said, is not a feeling, but an act of your will. Love is not a feeling, but an act of your will. Love is not a kind of a Christmas feeling that bubbles to the surface when circumstances support this. No, love is a decision continually to continually seek the highest goods of others. Its roots are not as we may think, and we are educated in that, that is the kind of root of our education. It's not rooted in humanism. Or, for that matter, where we can relate to in a kind of Hollywood, Hollywood film, because that's where we try to compare, you know, our kind of love. It's not Hollywood love. Because oftentimes we're irritated by this. Because Hollywood tells us, you know, love is always there. You know, it's always on the ideal, but it isn't. And then people get frustrated about it. They see all these um, kind of love feelings. They don't see the complicated things in it. I mean, I don't want to down this love, David and <laughs> I mean, love is something so dear. I mean, we celebrate, I think, next week or so, our um, 42nd uh, wedding anniversary. Uh, so I know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about it superficial. And you can interview my wife afterwards, you know, and uh, you may want to knock me out and never invite me again, you know, because you say, well, Hans is just uh, telling all sorts of nice stories. I'm not doing this. I'm not a, a Hollywood guy, you know, uh, with in t the intention to turn you kind of back. No, that's not what I'm doing. We are not to love others on the basis of their inherent goodness or external um, attractiveness, but on the basis of the example we have. And that's the Lord Jesus. That's our example. This is the very content of the love Jesus is talking about. He has a command. The command has a content. And also we can see so that we understand. Oftentimes we do not understand of what Jesus is talking about. So we need, um, you know, a kind of a comparison. It's only when we compare, you know, what we do and he does we know where we want, need to go. So there is a comparison. Up until this time, the Bible has taught us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Leviticus in the Old Testament says, Leviticus 19, 18, Do not seek revenge or bear a, a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as 
yourself, I am Lord. And prior to Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, we read in uh, Luke 10, 25 to 28, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord our God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Our love for ourselves has been the basis of comparison. Do you see? Only when we compare, we realize where we stand. So our love for ourselves has been the, the basis of comparison for our love uh, for others. But now Jesus give the, gives the disciples um, a new command that they have never heard before. It's new. It's not the same. It's a new one. Based on a, on a different point. This is why it's so important to know that. This comparison on a different point of comparison. They are to love one another, Jesus says, just as I. You see? Different comparison. It needs a jump over. An axiomatic kind of jumping over to the love Jesus has towards his disciples. Very different, very different. You cannot compare both of them. It's beyond. And it, it's in the context of being his friends. He needs to say that. I don't know whether you can follow me. This is very important. So Jesus loved the disciples. And we read that again in the Gospel of uh, Matthew and in John. He loved them even in their unbelief. And I'm almost in tears. This is how Jesus loves us. It's amazing. His love is overwhelming. He wants us to sit in his boat. He loved them even in their unbelief. He loved them even in their pettiness. He loved them in their desertion. He loved them in their denial. He loved them in their betrayal. He loved them, as John said uh, um, in John 13, 1, he loved them to the end. He didn't just start somewhere and finished. No, to the end. That is the quality, my friends, of the love of Jesus. And when I sat down uh, yesterday, when I prepared myself, I got, you know, in awe and wonder about that amazing love. We may sing afterwards that, that English song, Amazing Love. How can it be? This is the love, his love towards us. Very different. A different kind of love. Jesus could continually love the disciples because he continually, what did he do? How did he do it? He abided in the Father. Jesus was vitally linked and in an unbroken fellowship with, a, with him. Um, and now as we, as we come to, to John 15, 13, we see their relationship with Jesus move to a deeper level beyond discipleship to friendship. 
That's a big, uh, that's a big difference. Not from commanding, but to friendship. And we will see what that means. As he introduce it, we will see the qualities because that's the topic of our um, sermon this morning. Uh, the essential characteristics and uh, he introduces this new level of relating. And Jesus makes the quality of a friend visible by detailing for and we go back um, to this uh, English guy, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, to get the comparison right. Um, Jesus makes the disciples, uh, the qualities of a friend visible by detailing four massive limbs of what Samuel Taylor Coleridge called a sheltering tree. Do you get my point? A sheltering tree. That is what he was missing. And Jesus exactly goes to in that. The first quality of a friend is that he or she disregards personal sacrifice. Now you compare your friends. Do you have a friend like that? It's a very personal question. This is explained in the first branch of the tree found in verse 13. Greater love has no one then. This that one lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love. The primary interpretation of this verse refers to the Lord laying down his life for the disciples. But on the secondary level, there is a principle that relates to friendship. Would you agree with me when you have a friend, you will disregard the pain of personal sacrifice, even that sacrifice means death? I don't know. Maybe none of us have ever experienced something like that. When people call us, the usual, I mean, I'm sitting in the boat in, in Austria and Austrians usually say, do I, am I a nuisance to you? Do I disturb you? So I said, yes, you disturb, but you need to disturb. Please welcome. Thank you. That you, that, you know, you take the effort to call. You're welcome. And then I tell people, people laugh. Usually, you know, you can call us even after 10 o'clock at night. So Philip this week, he tried it. And did I knock you out? No. Thank you very much. No, we, you're, you know, because we are in a 24-7 call with crisis intervention. So whenever you call us, we are not, offend, we are not offended, you know, to start with. I mean, if, if you start being offended, to start with, well, you don't. I mean, you tell people off and tell, why, why did you do that? No, you wouldn't find that. With Margaret and myself, we are happy. Even if it comes at one o'clock in the morning, we are not offended. And um, we know that people don't call us for nothing. And if you start with that thought, you cannot be offended, can you? It's only when you start, hey, I want to sleep, you know, why is this guy calling me now? And, and so on and so forth, and you, you go round and round and round, and in the end you tell the people off. But that's not the relationship. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. A very moving example of greater love and of no greater friend is found in another, uh, you know, uh, poet. You know, it's interesting that when you prepare yourself, you try to find um, ways in to tell stories. And I love to tell stories. Uh, and Charles Dickens, um, he wrote two uh, cities. 
and it presents um, a kind of a classical uh, illustration of John 15:13. Greater love has no one this that one lay down his life for his friends. Donnie, uh, <clears throat> a young Frenchman who has been thrown into the dungeon uh, to await the guillotine. You know, neck off, cut off. Curtin is a kind of, I would call him a wasted English lawyer who usually did not care about anybody else than himself. The next morning, Sidney Curtin makes his way up the steps to the guillotine because Curtin did something nobody really expected from him. Because he wasn't the kind of guy, and yet he did it. You know what he did? He slips into the dungeon and exchanges clothes with a prisoner allowing Darney to escape. And as I said, the next morning, Sidney Carton makes his way up the steps that leads to the guillotine. His final words were a triumphant message. He says, I see the life for which I lay down my life. He, um, that's what Charles Dickens writes in these two cities, and you can read it. Uh, it's an amazing story. I see the lives for which I lay down my life peaceful useful, prosperous, and happy in that England which I shall see no more. It is a far, far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. And true enough, everybody knew in this guy. Nobody would ever expected him to do that. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. Now that, my brothers and sisters, is true friendship. That is the love of the Lord Jesus demonstrated to his disciples and offers to you and me, to our listeners, wherever they are. This is the love, the quality of love that Jesus offers to you and offers to me. Paul recalls it. You know, it has a great basis. In Romans um, 5, 8, he says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No wonder the hymn says, and we will probably sing it afterwards, what a friend we have in Jesus. This is our friend. He's not our enemy. He's our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. We stand in awe and wonder before the empty cross and look at our friend, the Lord Jesus. Now, as we looked at the first quality of a friend, this is, um, let's see what beside this regard uh, of personal sacrifice is more. The second quality of a friend, what I see in these verses in, in John 15, is the dedication to mutual aims. This is another limb, what I would call limb in friendship, sheltering tree, as we read in verse 14, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. Again, as we saw already in verse 12, meaning keep it doing. Don't stop in the midst, keep it doing. It tells us that friendship depends on on common aims. And, and, and you see, you know, when you have a friend, you share things together. You know, you have a hobby, you share, uh, in things together, uh, and, and you do it together, uh, and, uh, once again, obedience 
is the best test of discipleship. The friends of Jesus are those who deliberately and habitually obey him. Jesus' goals then became those of his, his disciples, thus revealing the friendship that existed between them. It becomes obvious. People do see it that you are a friend of another uh, friend. They, people will look at you and they would know, oh, they share a great friendship together. We find another example of this very special and most important quality in the friendship between Paul and Timothy. Uh, in Philippians 2, 19 to uh, uh, 22, he, uh, Paul writes, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for my welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child. You see, Father's Day. Like a child serving his father. We see... Two important things in these verses, you find they're both a, a kind of a, um, a statement, but also an a analogy. In verse 20, it contains a statement saying, I have no one else of kindred spirit. The Greek word used only there in the New Testament literally means equal soul. Equal soul or um, my uh, son-in-law and my uh, daughter-in-law, they have marked their hands. What did they write there? They've marked their hands and, uh, yes, their arms. That's what they wrote on their arms. Exactly. Soul, mate. That's a word here. They belong together. Soul, mate. Equal soul or like soul. As somebody once said, a true friend is one soul in two bodies. <laughs> I like that. Uh, one soul in two bodies. That's a great statement. That is how close Paul and Timothy were with one souled quality only true friends can have. In verse 22, we find, uh, first of all, we saw the statement, but now we find the, also the analogy. He served with me in the, in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. In friendship, there is a union of um, a union of philosophy and a mutuality of aims and objectives, a like-mindedness, a kinship of souls. That's friendship all about. We have looked at the personal sacrifice. We have uh, looked at the dedication on on mutual aims. Uh, and the third uh, quality we need to look at of the discussion, you know, of the privileged discussion, as I know, uh, I don't want to go into depth in that, but I know that all of you have your own secrets. Do you? You have your own secrets. May I ask you with whom you share them? Do you share them not even with your husband or wife? You know what friendship means? That's the depth of it. You don't hide things. So the discussion of privileged information, this 
third bow, but, uh, branching in friendship, sheltering three grows in, in John 15, 15, where Jesus says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. This is the intimate friendship the Lord Jesus shares with us. There is no deeper intimacy that one can have than this intimacy that the Lord Jesus has with his friends. I don't know of any other that shares like the Lord Jesus. This is why I was so fascinated. I shared it with you just at the entrance. I got so excited last um, yesterday in the afternoon. This is the level of him sharing, the Lord Jesus sharing with you and me. There is no example in the whole world. And as you know, I mean, I have a personal friend who is a king in Ghana. Well, we share a friendship and it's great, you know, and, and I love it. And it's great uh, sharing. King Nene Sakite in uh, Kroboland. Um, it's a great friendship, but, you know, the friendship compared with the friendship Jesus shares with his disciple is a superficial one. He cannot have that kind of intimate relationship. First of all, I don't live in Kroboland. And, and secondly, I don't speak his heart language. I just speak English. Well, he's a professor, so he knows quite good English. Uh, but anyway, do you see the intimate relationship that the Lord Jesus shares with us? Do you see that? Imagine what a great honor Jesus is bestowing on his disciples. Every absolute ruler or king demands absolute obedience in all his subjects. His slaves, however, are simply told what they need to do. While his friends are informed by his thinking, enjoy his confidence and learn to obey with a sense of privilege and with full understanding of their master's heart. So also here Jesus' absolute right to command is in no way diminished, but he takes pain to inform. He takes pains to inform his friends of his motives of his plans, of his purposes. In times past, God's covenant people, the people of Israel, were not informed of God's saving plan in the full measure now given to the disciples now. The people of Israel never got this information. God never shared it with them. But now with his disciples, he's sharing his intimate knowledge. What a friend we have in Jesus. It is amazing if we only can grasp the intimate relationship Jesus wants uh, to have with us. Jesus says in John sixteen twelve, I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. In other words, also there is much more they cannot grasp, but even within this uh, constrained Jesus has told them everything he has learned from his Father. The Holy Spirit whom Jesus sends will in the wake of the cross and resurrection complete the revelation bound up with the person and work of Christ. Thus making Jesus' disciples more informed, more privileged, more comprehending than any believers who have ever gone through the service of this world. This is the quality of the love of Jesus. Now, when we apply this into a strictly human plane, we see that open sharing, no hiding, and intimate depth mark close friendship. Real friendship is marked by the sharing of soul secrets, which means that it is not 
public information. I'm not talking about public information that anybody can reach to and, and read, you know, in the, you know, at Facebook or wherever you have your social place to go. No, no, that's not the case. It's not public information traded on the lips of indiscreet um, onlookers. It is shared in private with a selected and trusted few. My dear brothers and sisters, we are made friends of the King of all kings. And I'm wondering, when you go back to your house, what you will take from this. You're made a friend of Jesus. In Jesus' time, the courts of kings held an elite group of men called friends of the king. They had unrestricted access to the monarch, having even the right to come into the king's bed chamber. They often met with their king informally, even before he himself saw his political, uh, his economic or military advisors. But wow. Wow! Think about the incredible offer Jesus gives to you and to me. We are no longer slaves but friends. We need no longer gaze at him from afar. We no longer excluded from his intimate circle of confidence. We are made friends with the king of all kings. Incredible! But true. Incredible but true. A friend disregards personal sacrifice. Of dedication, um, a friend uh, is dedicated to mutual aims. Uh, we've talked about the privileged information bit and lastly, uh, the desire to implement fulfillment. Now, Jesus' next words are reminiscent to, of the Lord's reminder to his people Israel when they were about to enter the promised land. We read in Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 8, For you are a people holy to the Lord of your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were numerous than other people. For you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you. Likewise, Jesus asserts that he takes the initiative in choosing and consecrating his disciples to live out the new covenant he will achieve on the cross and on the empty tomb. Jesus says in John fifteen sixteen, you did not choose me. It's not your decision. I choose you. It's a very different quality. The king here, usually king of here in this world, they choose their people. But here the king of all king, he chooses you and me. You did not choose me. Never. But I choose you and appointed you, said you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give me, will give you. His great, great grace. Jesus has chosen and appointed us to be productive in sharing his mission and bringing glory to his Father. He will provide what we need to accomplish. That gives really peace to my mind. It's not our action. Even now, in my age, you know, Strength is very limited. It's limited. But I know that the Lord has more, still more power and strength and love. 
He will provide what we need to accomplish this. I believe that this is the ultimate encouragement for His grace. We go not because we are worthy or equipped or attractive or skilled or experienced in any way suitable and appropriate. We, we cannot go because we aren't. It's impossible to look at that great king. You know, we, we kind of little something, nothing. But it is because of his choice. We are made friends. We go because we've been summit, summoned and sent. Since he has called us, he will equip and enable us for our witness. As with his people of Israel, God's choice is with a view to service. It's not just, you know, kind of the main thing is that I have something. It doesn't matter whether others have. His choice is made to serve him. And you see it? Very different. It's not just a kind of the main thing is that I have. But it's for to share with others. Wow, I'm to come to the end now. I'm really again as yesterday afternoon I'm really overwhelmed. It's amazing. Amazing love. How can it be? I'm overwhelmed by his great friend and his friendship towards me. Now in finishing, what lesson can we give? Glean with Jesus' words for our personal relationship. That nothing is more exciting than seeing a close friendship succeed. This should be the purpose of our relationship. This is to help each other to reach maximum fulfillment in what Christ has chosen and sent us to do and to be. So let's sum up, because that's hopefully something that you may get back and uh, do in, into practice. Let's sum up, sum up, or sum of... Um, the insights uh, of the quality of a friend. Before we leave and finish this service and you walk back to your house, go into the nitty-gritty of daily life, first of all, I want to go back to the sheltering tree because that's a topic we started with and I want to finish again. A sheltering tree bears the fruit of security, confidence, care, and encouragement. Secondly, a sheltering tree has roots that abide. Let us not live in such a way that our friend we talked about in the beginning, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, self, he wrote an epitaph. Um, and on this epitaph, you know, an epitaph is something uh, people choose before they die on the tomb mark, that's what, I don't know, what you will write on your tombstone. You know, somebody challenged us while we were at All Nations. Um, and uh, he told an appropriate story that I need to tell another time. And we heard of somebody writing on the tombstone, he died climbing. What will you write? What is written on your tombstone. What do you want? I've got a friend uh, in Turkey. I mean, he had, uh, in the meantime, he's been expelled from Turkey. He himself also, um, you know, bought a tombstone. I don't know what he wrote on the tombstone, but he wrote a certain sentence in Turkish because he thought in the first place that he will be buried in Turkey anyway. Uh, what will be written on your tombstone? Sit down this afternoon. David, sit down this afternoon. Write it down. I don't know. I mean, it's a challenge. What should be written on your tombstone? So he, you know, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, he wrote, Beneath this sod, a poet lies, or that which one seem be. 
or lift a thought in prayer for STC, which stands for Samuel Taylor Courage, that he who may a year with toil of breath found death in life, may here find life in death. Wow. He wrote that because his life was unfilled. He wasn't ready. He was lonely. He didn't have a friend. Let us live our lives under the sheltering tree of Christ's friendship, where the fruit from his spreading branches can nourish and fresh us forever. One thing will impact our ability to love one another like nothing else. What is it? It is our ability to receive the love of the Lord Jesus for us. And when that happens, Paul has no other words than saying, for this reason, he bows before the Lord. And we will bow right after that. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that his love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's bow. We, that's the only thing we can do at the end of our service now. Bow. Bow before him. If somebody wants to kneel, he is free to kneel. Because that's the only thing we can do. Do you really know that you are God's beloved? As you work your way through the ups and downs of your everyday love, how do you think God feels about you most of the time? And an even deeper question I dare to ask, how do you, do you still feel more like a slave than a friend? If so, why? What might be blocking you from opening the door of your heart to let the fullness of Christ's love in come into? Take some time off, if you may, to meditate on God's love for you as shown through his Son in the Lord Jesus. Reflect. Take time off. Reflect on what is his friendship means the peace it brings. Take time off, reflect, and think about the images. We, you've gone through uh, the Gospel of John. Here are the images he comes up with. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And you may go, go through hard times right now. I don't know. I don't know you personally. Those that listen may go through through the hardest of times. That shake your belief in God's love. I plead with you. Turn to the Lord Jesus. There is no better friend. Turn to him whose joy it is for you to Regain perspective and security. Lord Jesus, thank you that we could meet you this morning and had an intimate look into your friendship. We are amazed that you open up to the deepest end to share whatever you have with your friends. You know our personal relationship with you. It's not hidden away. We can't hide it before you. 
And we are not afraid. No, because it's you. You choose us. It's you you've called us by our name. It's you that enables us every day afresh. That gives us joy unspeakable. We thank you that you offer us such kind of a friendship. What a friend we have in Jesus. Thank you for your words are so remarkable. They're different from any other human words. And we rejoice of the glory of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for being with us even this coming week, even in our lives, in our days to come. Thank you for your friendship, for the qualities of friendship you offer to us. We are amazed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.